0: Hello, I'm Don Mockholtz and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 92 for the week of October 6, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, October 6th, the moon is new and not visible. During this week, the moon increases in illumination as it moves into our southern sky. First quarter moon is on Wednesday, October 13th. With the moon starting as new and moving to first quarter, this is a good week to take images of the moon each night as a terminator moves across the moon. The easiest is to take a cell phone photo through your telescope. More difficult but well worth the time and effort is to use a video with either your phone video camera or with an actual video camera. Put it on a tripod and point it through the telescope eyepiece. Leave the clock drive off and let the moon drift through the field of view. If you can't catch the whole moon in one field of view... Start at the north part of the moon and let it drift through. Then recenter on a strip south of that and cover that and so on. In two weeks, if you do this each night, you'll have a fabulous documentation of the lunar surface. On the evening of Friday, October 9th, the moon will pass a couple of degrees north of the planet Venus in the southwest evening sky. This is a good photo opportunity. No no binoculars nor telescope is needed. Jupiter and Saturn shine brightly in our southeastern sky. Last week we discussed observing the moons of these planets. Concerning Jupiter, I had failed to mention that the moons of Jupiter cast shadows on the planet as they pass by. The shadows are black and fairly easy to see. Depending upon the sun's angle, the shadows may be visible while the moon is still not in front of the planet. Also note this, when the moons do pass in front of the planet, they are very difficult to see. We have a minor meteor shower this week, that is, it does not produce many meteors, perhaps 5 to 10 per hour, but it is in our evening sky and easily visible from the northern hemisphere. It is the Draconids, and they peak between October 6th and 10th, with Friday, October 8th, expected to be the best date. The meteor shower radiant is near the star Vega in the evening sky, high in the northwest. Mars is at superior conjunction on October 8th, as it goes behind the sun as seen from the Earth. So for two weeks, those spacecraft, both orbiters and rovers, will be out of contact with Earth. If there are Martins, this would be a good time for them to come out from behind the rocks and visit the rovers. The nicer ones might draw smiley faces on the camera lenses. The others might steal the wheels and leave the rovers up on blocks. We'll know in two weeks when communication with Mars resumes if Martins have visited our rovers. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, October 5th through Tuesday, October 12th? It depends upon where you are located. This week we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. Between 50 and 65 degrees, you will not see it at all this week. Between 20 and 50 degrees north, the International Space Station will be visible for at least the first few days of the week in your evening sky. From 20 degrees south to 20 degrees north, The equatorial zone, the ISS will be in your evening sky for at least part of the week, generally towards the end of the week in the evening sky. From 40 to 20 degrees south, the ISS will be in your morning sky for at least part of the week. South of 40 degrees south, the ISS will be in your morning sky for the whole week. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. There is an odd comet that was discovered in 1927 by Schwassmann and Walkman in Germany. It has nearly a circular orbit around the sun and hangs out as far away as Jupiter about five times farther from the sun than we are. Typically, it is about 16th or 17th magnitude, very faint. But this comet, also known as Comet 29P slash walkman 1, because the team did find two other comets later, this comet outbursts on occasion and becomes magnitude 12 or 13. About a week ago, it had four outbursts in a row and is presently the brightest it has been in decades, about magnitude 11. It will not remain that bright for long, but if you would like to observe it through a telescope, now would be a good time to see it. It is presently in the constellation Auriga in the northern hemisphere, and from the northern hemisphere it rises about three hours after sunset and is above the horizon for the rest of the night. A map showing its position is part of this podcast, Podcast 92, Map 4. It's also plotted on less detailed maps, number 1 and 2 of this podcast. You can also get the positions of this and other comets visible in our sky this week from the website heavens-above.com and click on Comets. On a couple of personal notes, I am a visual comet hunter, beginning a systematic comet hunting program on January 1st, 1975. As I say in my lectures on the subject, I've always been a student of comet hunting, and I'm continually looking for ways to improve my searching. This past week I came up with a plan to make my searches more effective. No more details at this time, but I'll let you know upon my next visual comet discovery if this change brought about that discovery. My birthday is October 7th. Every year on my birthday, I go out and look at the star Octurus in the western sky. In fact, if I wait too long, it will set, as it does so about two and a half hours after sunset. I'm um, not sure why I do this. It might go back to when I got my first telescope at the age of 13 in 1965. That was probably the first star that I looked at through my telescope. This was from my backyard in Concord, California. On that night, Arcturus was in the western sky, almost due west, there is a street light in the cul-de-sac to my west, about fifty yards from me. So it was below the star Arcturus. The moon, almost full, was then low in my southeastern sky, and from my location there was another street light in that direction. That street light was at the southeastern corner of our property and only about thirty yards away so I probably waited a while before I looked at the moon that night. The famous sun grazer comet ikea Seiki was also in our skies that week, but I did not know about it, so I did not see it. Each year on your birthday, the stars are in the sun, same location they were at on the day you were born. The Earth has made one orbit around the sun and is back to where it started, So our perspective point from where we view the heavens is the same. The moon and planets in their own orbits will not be in the same place every year. They change. So is there a star you look at every year on your birthday? As the nights continued, I became more and more frustrated with that 2-inch, that is 50-millimeter telescope from Sears. The one eyepiece yielded 75 power, but it had a small field of view. The finder was a hollow tube difficult to aim. There grew inside of me the inclination to give up astronomy by the second and third night. But I consider two things. My parents had paid $20 for this telescope, Money they had worked hard for, and for me to just put it aside in frustration and never use it again would have been disrespectful to them. Secondly, I had loved looking at the stars with the unaided eye and binoculars. So now having a telescope means I had to learn new skills, and I needed patience to make this work as I moved up to the next level. These two thoughts kept me going. On my third night, I looked at Saturn, and I was impressed. I could actually see the rings. I called out the family, and they all looked through the telescope to see the rings of Saturn. They were excited, too. As they went back into the house, I stood out there with my little telescope and decided maybe it wasn't so bad after all. Imagine if we were seeing the rings of Saturn edge on at that time, which we do every 15 years. Then the rings would not have been visible, and who knows how my future would have unfolded. This week, let's take a look at an open star cluster in our northern evening sky. It is M34, magnitude 6.3, and it measures 25 by 15 arc minutes in size. It sits only about 1,500 light years away and the star cluster is about 100 light-years across. This might be visible to the unaided eye. To find it, use this map, Podcast 92, Map 3, which is found on my website. The cluster should appear as a faint, fuzzy patch of light. No stars will be visible. In binoculars, the cluster takes on some shape. And to me, it's always looked box-like. It contains about 100 stars, and it stands out well against the background. The lowest magnification and wide field of binoculars provide a great view of the cluster. With a telescope, crank up the magnification. Look for the double stars near the center of the cluster. As for color, most of these stars are white. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? Meteor shower, Friday, October 8th. Venus and the moon together, October 9th. Start imaging the moon this weekend. Look for Comet 29P, Sus Wassmann-Wachman. And go out and look at Open Star Cluster M34. You have been listening to the Looking Up with Don podcast episode number 92 for October 6, 2021. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. You can contact me at DonTheAstronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is DonTheAstronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky. On Saturday, October 16th, we have an international Observe the Moon night. And we can start planning on that. And the morning sky meteor shower. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.